Would you stand, friends, as we read the Lord's Word? This morning we are in 2 Peter chapter 3, and I'd like to read for us verses 1 through 9. Again, let us listen to the Lord's Word. This is now, beloved, the second letter I am writing to you in which I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the words spoken beforehand by the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior spoken by your apostles. Know this first of all, that in the last days mockers will come with their mocking, following after their own lusts, and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it was from the beginning of creation. For when they maintain this, it escapes their notice that by the word of God the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water and by water, through which the world at that time was destroyed, being flooded with water. But by his word, the present heavens and earth are being reserved for fire, kept for the day of judgment and the destruction of ungodly men. But do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years and a thousand years like one day. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. This is the Lord's word. Would you please be seated, friends? Again, Father, we thank you for this day, and I thank you, Father, for how you have uh, given us your word, and I pray now that your blessing be upon this servant and upon these, your people, who sit in this building and for those who have joined us from afar. We ask that you would cause your word to be faithfully handled and also, Father, faithfully applied. Give us ears to hear, now I pray, and I do ask that you would cause the evil one from stealing away the seed of the gospel, that you will help our minds uh, from the youngest to our oldest uh, to be able to focus upon these things. Uh, Prepare us for what is to come, we ask now in Jesus' name. Amen. Two weeks ago, we began looking at this passage of Scripture. The threat of false teachers rising up in the church is not only a, 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 a potential danger, but it is a present reality. In our information-saturated age, the church has become inundated with false doctrines and teachings. And undiscerning Christians gulp it down, allowing rock stars and celebrity and celebrity preachers and celebrity personalities to shape their beliefs and to inform their Christianity. Now, I am not saying that if you are a celebrity, you're necessarily saying things that are wrong. I'm merely saying that if we're determined what's right or what's wrong, we ought to determine it by the word of God and not on whom is saying it. You understand, it's not the status of the person that you should be enamored with. It should be the truthfulness of the words. I came across several, several examples this week of what I'm talking about, and I wasn't even digging for these things. It just seemed to be coming up in my news feeds. I, I, I saw one man, a, a, a TV preacher. I've never seen this man before. And he's walking back and forth in front of the, the congregation to whom he's preaching, And he says to the congregation that he heard a preacher say this. Now listen to what this other preacher said. If you don't believe in Jesus, you're going to hell. And this particular preacher who's quoting this other preacher says, that's insanity. Whatever your path to God, I celebrate that. To which 
the congregation applauded. In an article this week, dated March 15th, the article's title, Pope Francis Calls for New World Order After the Pandemic. That's the title. It caught my attention. Here's a quote from the Pope in his new book. We can no longer blithely accept inequalities and disruptions to the environment, he declares. The path to humanity's salvation passes through the creation of a new world of development, which unquestionably focuses on coexistence among peoples and harmony with creation. Now, when I say that, I'm not saying that there aren't Christians in the Roman Catholic Church. If they are, they're inconsistent with Roman Catholic doctrine. It's because they're reading their Bibles and they're believing their Bibles. But according to Roman Catholic dogma, the Pope is the vicar of Christ. In the whole article, and I just read you a snippet, in that whole article, the quote-unquote vicar of Christ mentions nothing of Christ. Nothing of biblical salvation, but of humanity's salvation when we once come to peace and harmony with the created realm. That man is informing a lot of people. Another, this one you may have heard before. It always astounds me. Oprah Winfrey. You wonder why I pick on Oprah. Here's a reason why. Quote, One of the biggest mistakes humans make is to believe there is only one way. Actually, there are many diverse paths leading to what you call God. And by the way, I did check that. You can watch the video on YouTube of Oprah saying those words. And now one that hits close to home. Chip and Joanna Gaines of HGTV fame. Right? Remember Chip, Joanna, Shiplap? Um, in a, last week in an interview with Oprah, Oprah asked her to explain how she hears God's voice. Oprah says, you know, is it in your head? Is it a feeling or a prayer? And Joanna answers, all three of those things for sure. Along with an overwhelming presence of peace, the professing Christian and mom of five told Oprah she stays away from religion because she believes God's connection with his creation is very relational. Now, I don't know about you, but I've, I rather like their show. I especially liked it because I thought, here's a lovely Christian couple interacting with each other. And when they talked to Chip, his answers were even worse than hers. We're going to stay away from religion. Organize that dirty thing, organized religion. I hear some of you say, in my head at least, we need to listen to our hearts, the Disney theology. We need to listen to our hearts, don't we? The answer is, really? <laughs> Jeremiah 17, 9, The heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? Listen to your heart. That ooey-gooey thing, right? Make decisions based on how you feel. You, you may be thinking, I'm, I'm picking. I'm not picking. This stuff has bled over into the Lord's church and we have people who are not thinking biblically. They're listening to their hearts. Listen to what Solomon wrote. 
Proverbs 28, 26. He who trusts in his own heart is a fool, but he who walks wisely will be delivered. Friends, these are just a few examples, and if you're not discerning, you will be harmed. You will be led astray by these types of things. Instead of listening to the truth, we are being encouraged left and right to believe subjectivism, my truth versus your truth. As long as we're just living together in peace, what's the problem? You've got your truth, I have my truth. We all just follow our hearts. This is, this is the theology that's, that's bleeding into the church. Listen to your heart or, or follow now the green theology. Having harmony with the world, this is the big problem. No, the big problem is your rebellion against God. The earth is suffering. It's under a curse. And guess what? On the final day, Jesus Christ will set it free. Read Romans 8. The earth will one day be set free. But it's not going to be set free by destroying coal plants. Let me just say. It'll be set free when God sets it free. But you see, we're, we have all these things bleeding into us. And so... The writer of Hebrews says, For everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he is an infant, but solid food is for the mature, who because of practice have their senses trained to discern good and evil. People buy into this lunacy because they don't know the word of God. It's just that plain. We buy into this lunacy because we don't know the word of God. We don't read our Bibles. We don't sit under sound teaching and healthy and solid doctrine, the doctrine that conforms to godliness. And if we are sitting under it, we're not listening. And that's why I pray this morning that we actually listen. Peter has warned these readers concerning the false teachers, their character and their conduct. And he writes here to remind them to put, to put in their mind again that they should remember the words spoken beforehand by the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior spoken by your apostles. My friends, remember this. The Lord's word is timeless because the Lord himself is timeless. His word is true, and the truth doesn't change over time because God himself doesn't change over time. Culture and cultural norms can't change the truth, and if they do change the truth, then it wasn't truth to begin with. That's another one we hear. Times have changed. So the Bible has to change. No. What were the apostles doing? They were addressing the culture of their day and saying this is what the timeless word of God says to us. But too often I hear Christians saying, well, we, we've got to change to the times. I agree. If you need to change the width of your tie, please change the width of your tie. But you don't, you don't change the truth of God's word. You don't say, well, what was once condemned as an abomination is now acceptable because we've become more enlightened. No, all it means is we've become more godless. And that's why we're accepting things that the scriptures have always deemed as being an abomination. Right? You suppose there will ever be a day where drunkenness is acceptable. You would say, well, no. If anyone's ever grown up in a home with drunkenness, you would say, please, keep it away. I don't want that. 
It's not funny. And we tolerate these sins and say, well, things have changed. No, our standards, we've lost our standards, and so we accept these things. The word of God has not changed. The standard of holiness has not changed. God remains perfect. God remains holy. God remains just, and he remains merciful. Man continues to remain dead in his sins and without hope except the hope of the gospel. The only hope man has is the grace of God, undeserved, and poured out upon the sinner in Jesus Christ alone. The call from God remains the same, has always remained the same. Turn from your sin and turn in faith to Jesus Christ and be saved from the coming judgment of God on this world. Do you remember? You remember what the prophets said. Joel said this in chapter 2. Blow a trumpet in Zion and sound an alarm on my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble for the day of the Lord is coming. Surely it is near. The day of the Lord is indeed great and very awesome and all and who can endure it. And then Daniel 12. Listen to what Daniel writes. And there will be a time of distress such as never occurred since there was a nation until that time. And at that time, your people, everyone who is found written in the book, will be rescued. Many of those who sleep in the dust of the ground will awake, these to everlasting life, but the others to disgrace and everlasting contempt. And Peter says, and listen not only to the, the prophets, the holy prophets of old, but listen to the commandment of the Lord and Savior spoken by your apostles. They would say to the Philippian jailer, when he asks, what shall I do to be saved? He says, believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. You see, my friends, we are to keep to this word. We are to keep to this word and to keep it in mind to counter the deceptive words of the false teachers, especially the truth concerning the judgment to come. False teachers really don't want there to be a judgment to come. They don't preach about a judgment to come. But Peter wants us to keep this doctrine in particular in mind. This doctrine, as it would be this doctrine that would be undermined and in the process hurt those who are undiscerning. How so? How can, how can not thinking about the judgment of God to come ever hurt anyone? It's very simple. If there is no second coming of Christ, like the Old Testament and the New Testament, and as we continue to go through this, this message, I'll give you more examples of this in the New Testament, but if there is no second coming of Jesus Christ, then there is no need to be concerned over judgment, and therefore there is no concern, no need for concern over holiness or obedience, because there is no judgment. I remember, and I, I was hesitant to even bring this up, when I was a child, and I think I've shared this before, this is one of those childhood memories that never goes away. My mother had made hamburgers, and her hamburgers were huge, and she always sliced up a big big tomato, a big wet tomato and onions, and she had a plate. It was after dinner. My mom and dad were going out to a store, and I thought they were, were going to be gone for at least an hour. And my brother Jason came up, and I said, Jason, you got to smell these tomatoes. He goes, what? I said, ooh, you got to smell them. He puts his face down, and I went, wham, and jammed those tomatoes right in his face. I was pretty little still. 
like 19. <laughs> I was probably 12. And he grabs a tomato and he chases me downstairs into our basement. And tomatoes are flying. I mean, we're throwing tomatoes. And I think my dad, my dad, they were only gone like 10 minutes. He comes in and his booming voice says, what in the world's going on here? And I remember the life drained to my feet and I just fell on the floor. And how do you explain to your father that we were just throwing mom's tomatoes all over the basement? I mean, you don't say, you don't expect judgment. I mean, we were doing this because as children, we were thinking there's no, no danger of us getting caught. We'll throw the tomatoes, we'll have our laughs, we'll clean it up, no one will ever know. And that's the way many Christians live today. There is no judgment, there is no fear, you don't have to worry. Live and let live, go and do as you please. And Peter says, if that's you, you're in deep trouble. Because that's not the truth. And that's the way these false teachers, that's the kind of thing that they're promoting. These false teachers, as we've seen in chapter 2, are sensual. They live for the here and now. It's about money. It's about sex. It's about pleasure. That's what they're giving. That's what they dole out. And those who follow them will only demonstrate that perhaps their faith is not a genuine faith. So Peter here reminds them concerning the Lord's word and what the Lord has to say concerning the final judgment. Now, he says very plainly, beginning in verse 3, know this first of all. This is of a, a, a tremendous significance. This doctrine is a tremendous significance. It is of primary importance. You may not understand eschatology, and we, we seem to be talking about this more and more um, when I get together with brothers and, and meals or whatever. Uh, perhaps you've been dissuaded or discouraged from talking about eschatology because you're not sure what to think of premillennial dispensationalism or classic premillennialism or postmillennialism or amillennialism. Um, these things and talking about these things have left you thinking, I don't even want to know anything about this. Just leave me alone. But you should know, while we might not be settled on specific details, no Christian ought to think that the doctrine of last things, the doctrine of the second coming, no one should think that this is an unimportant doctrine. Peter certainly thinks it isn't. He thinks it's very important. So much so that he says, know this first of all. You see, friends, because if we stop believing that Jesus Christ is going to come again, we stop caring about following the Lord and living lives holy unto him. And it's a real threat. And to, to, to bolster this point, I say, again, just consider the age we're living in and consider what the church has done. Do you find it insignificant that the church, over the past 30 or 40 years, we got away from those hellfire and brimstone kind of guys and we've gotten into very relational, touchy-feely kind of preaching? We've gotten away from doctrine, because, oh, they're too doctrine, to how does this make you feel? And psychology. Now, is it a coincidence that the church that has strayed away from, from Bible preaching and Bible thumping has also lost its witness in the culture and has become more like the world? 
false teachers have come into the church. I don't think I have to, to try very hard to prove that to you. Just look at the witness of the church in the United States today. You want to know why this country's going off the rails? It's because the church stopped sounding the alarm 50 years ago. Not every pastor, not every church, but many have. And we've, we've, we've con bent the need to relevancy, so-called relevancy. We've bent the need to the culture, and the church and her witness has been hurt. We're hurting it. Make no mistake, Peter's pointing out Christ Jesus is coming again and he will judge the world when he does. You need to understand this. I need to understand this. And what he tells us is significant, terribly important for us to understand. So know this, first of all, what does he say? That in the last days, mockers will come with their mocking, following after their own lusts, and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it was from the beginning of creation. The timing is the last days. Sometimes people ask me, are we in the last days? Hear me. Yes, <laughs> we are in the last days. Not, well, I think we're in the last days. Stop saying that. We are in the last days. That's, that's plain. It's plain from scriptures. Last days would be defined that period of time between the first and second coming of Jesus Christ. We are in the last days. If you turn quickly with me over to um, 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5, we are told this, but realize this, that in the last days, now, as Paul writes this, you think about the, the world in which we're living right now. That in the last days, difficult times will come, for men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, Boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure, rather than lovers of God, holding to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power. Avoid such men as these. Does it sound like we're living in the last days? This is where you say, yes. <laughs> yes, we are living in the last days. There is no doubt. There is no mistaking it. Peter adds to this by saying that the last days are characterized by mockers and their mocking. In the Greek, this is written in a very specific, emphatic way. To mock means to scoff, to ridicule, to belittle, to deride. These are those, these mockers are those who scoff at the things of God, who scoff at his word, who undermine his law, who undermine and, and laugh and belittle the church and Christianity. So we've heard these things when there was a shooting down in Texas and some congressman, I forget who it was, said, you know, our, our thoughts and prayers are with you. And what was the response? Oh, right, prayer. Pfft. Mocking. What, what, what good does prayer do? Prayer. The rolling of the eyes. The belittling of the truth. You can read the comment sections when you read these articles and people write their comments and you hear people refer to God as the sky fairy princess. And all those mythological stories. Men like Bill uh, Mayer or uh, Christopher Hitchens. Right? 
mock and belittle politicians, and now it would seem even the average Joe on the streets mocking the things of the Lord. They know what the scriptures say, but they are not guided by them. Rather, they are directed and enslaved to their own flesh. That's these mockers. You see? Following after their own lust, they do what they feel. They want it, they take it, they just do it. They don't ask, what does the Lord want? What would the Lord want? What would be most pleasing? Right? We had a, a, in the House of Representatives this past week, somebody saying, you know, these things, these transgender things that are going on, these are rebellion, a shaking of the fist in the face of God. And what did U.S. Representative Nadler have to say? Religion doesn't belong in this chamber. We're a nation of mockers. We, we laugh at, we scoff at the things of God in this nation. We belittle the religious. We belittle people who think we need to get down our knees in prayer. And perhaps, friends, that's why many of us don't bother to pray. Because deep down, we're not all that convinced ourselves that it's all that important or effective. Maybe we're buying into the spirit of the age. Maybe we're not reading our Bibles enough to remember that even a guy like Elijah, who had a human, who had a nature just like ours, got down and he prayed. He sought the will of the Lord, and the Lord answered his prayer. They follow, they do what they want. They're not interested in following after the Lord. They pursue what feels good, they follow their hearts. Isn't that wonderful? Please don't buy into that, that garbage. Trust in your heart, believe in your heart. Please, please, please don't let your children think this way. Dad, I want a motorcycle. Well, son, what does your heart tell you? You should be saying, son, what does your bank book tell you? Right? What would the Lord say? Have you tithed them that money? Have you done that? Right? Stop. Stop acting on your heart. And start doing what you know is right scripturally. They say, this is these mockers, they say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it was from the beginning of creation. And again, the Lord has made it clear that he is coming again and he is judging the world. I read to you from Joel 2 and Daniel 12. Listen to Acts 1.11 when the angels spoke to the apostles. Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? This Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven will come in just the same way as you have watched him go into heaven. And Jude would say in verses 14 and 15, it was also about these men that Enoch, in the seventh generation from Adam, only seven generations away from Adam, he prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord came with many thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment upon all and to convict all the ungodly of all their ungodly deeds, which they have done in an ungodly way, and of all the harsh things which the ungodly sinners have spoken against him. That's the promise, Jesus would say in Matthew 24. If you are so inclined to turn there, Matthew chapter 24, verses 29, we are told, But immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light, 
and the stars will fall from the sky and the powers of the heavens will be shaken and then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory and he will send forth his angels with a great trumpet and they will gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of the sky to the other. Do you see what the Lord has said? And those are just a few examples. But these false teachers, when you hear those verses read, they go, right. Where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it was from the beginning of the creation. You can't trust that word. Why would you believe this antiquated document and its mythical stories? See, look, where is the promise of his coming? Show us its fulfillment. Nothing has changed in all this time ever since the fathers fell asleep. And we're not sure which fathers Peter's referring to, if they're referring to the early saints uh, after the time of the Lord Jesus, that first 30 years, or if they're talking about the Old Testament saints. Either way we go, the point is the same, because it has not happened yet, these mockers say. It is not likely to ever happen. And my friends, we are coming up on the 2000th anniversary of the ascension of our Lord. Imagine the heyday that mockers are going to have after 2,000 years and we still haven't seen the coming of the Lord. <laughs> you still believe those ancient stories? Don't you know how enlightened we've become? This is their attitude. And we're looking more and more like morons. But we're not. We're not. They say it's not going to happen. They say there is no day of judgment. So loosen up. Live it up. And undiscerning Christians fall for these godless words. That's the problem. That's what Peter is warning the church about. Paul said it in this, Romans 1. He says, And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer... God gave them over to a depraved mind to do those things which are not proper, being filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, uh, murder, strife, deceit, malice. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful. And listen to this. And although they know the ordinance of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do the same, but also give hearty approval to those who practice them. That's the false teacher. So don't worry about judgment. Live as you please. Nothing is going to happen. That's the mocker. He is the blind guide of the blind. And if you listen to him, you will fall into the pit that he falls into as well. But Peter points out why you should not listen to them. Because these mockers have deliberately, purposefully forgotten the facts. Those inconvenient truths they have put aside and forgotten. Listen to what he says, verses five through seven, or five through six. For when they maintain this, it escapes their notice that by the word of God the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water and by water, through which the world at that time was destroyed, being flooded 
with water. They say these things, uh, but they willfully forget the facts of Scripture. I believe they willfully, willfully forget by suppressing the truth and unrighteousness. They love this world. They love the flesh. They love sensuality. And because of this, they push the side, uh, push the truth aside. They, they, you, ever, you ever been in the midst of something as a child or something? And your parent warned you, you know, if you keep doing that, it's going to backfire on you. And you no, it won't. No, it won't. It's going to be great. No, no, nothing's going to happen. And you just push that truth aside. No, it's an inconvenient truth. I don't want to hear that because I really love what I'm doing right now. That's, that's the mocker. That's the wicked man. That's the false teacher. That's the way they live. They're not dealing with reality. They're so wrapped up in their sin and their flesh. Nothing else matters. Their little utopia, they feel as though, will never come to an end. But it does. It blows up on them. It will blow up on them. They suppress the truth with their unrighteousness. And they willingly forget, willfully rather, forget God's promise. And they say he is not going to keep his word. You don't have to worry about it. I don't have to worry about it. But Peter says when they maintain this, that it escapes their notice. They are ignoring the fact that God created the heavens and the earth by this word. God has made a promise that he's coming again. How much can you count on the word of God to be fulfilled? You, a hundred percent. You, you had better expect it, friends. Listen to what Isaiah wrote: For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there without watering the earth and making it bear and sprout and furnishing seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so will my word be, which goes forth from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, without accomplishing what I desire and without succeeding in the matter for which. I sent it. My friends, God's word is effective. His promise to come to, to this earth again to judge the wicked, it will happen. It will happen. Case in point being creation. Turn with me. We're going to be uh, done here in, in, shortly. Genesis chapter 1. Let me read for us just verses 6 through 10. And listen to what Moses wrote. Peter is saying, they're saying that his word isn't going to be fulfilled. Peter is saying, oh yes it will, because every time God has ever spoken, it happens. Genesis 1, verses 6-10, Then God said, Let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. God made the expanse and separated the waters which were below the expanse from the waters which were above the expanse, and it was so. God called the expanse heaven, and there was evening and there was morning a second day. Then God said, Let the waters below the heavens be gathered into one place, and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth, and the gathering of the waters he called seas, and God saw that it was good. You see, in creation, God spoke, and everything happened. And God said, let the waters be divided this way and this way and the waters were divided there was water above there's water beneath and Peter treats this 
very much so as a historic event. So I want you to understand something. There's, there's, there's some implications for this. Evolution didn't happen. God spoke it into existence. Now listen, friends. I know everyone goes around saying, but science, but science. Do you know that those who are involved in science, they, they, they speak of it as though it is the ultimate trump card, and it's not. It's not. Wicked men are scientists. Scientists are made up of, of people just like us who want, who have their bents and who, who are invested in these things and they have a reputation to guard or, a, or an agenda to promote. True science will never contradict the word of God. It, it won't. Because the God who gave science is the God who gives the Bible. Please don't have your faith undermined by those who, who say, well, I, I know the real truth. Don't let your faith be undermined. Peter treats it as absolute truth, and you should too. And he says it's this word. You see, God spoke it, and it happened. Secondly, he says, and I won't read this, uh, but I will refer to you to it in Genesis 6 through 9, through which the world at that time was destroyed, being flooded with water. These same waters that God used to create the world by his word are also the same waters that by God's word were in the days of Noah used to destroy the world. Again, this is a fact. And mockers willfully forget these things. That when God says something, it will happen, and it has happened. So to maintain the judgment will never happen is a sin-induced lunacy. It's a sin-induced lunacy. And so finally, Peter gives this last fact. But by his word, the present heavens and earth are being reserved for fire, kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. It is by God's word that he, uh, that the present heavens and earth are being reserved for fire. The word that created all things is also the word that will end all things. The Lord will destroy this world. The world in Noah's day was destroyed by water at God's command. This present heavens and earth are being reserved for fire, and we will get into this in the weeks to come. Uh, but they are being reserved for fire, kept for the day of judgment and the destruction of ungodly men. Jude said it. I read it to you in verses 14 and 15. Peter will go on to say in verse 10 of the same chapter, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief in which the heavens will pass away with a roar and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat and the earth and its works will be burned up. Friends, there are many false teachers and they want you to live after your flesh. They tell you to follow your heart and do whatever you please. But they are speaking as those who belittle the fact that the Lord has said, I'm coming again and I will judge this wicked world and I will judge the ungodly and you will pay for your sins. He will do it. A terrible day of judgment is coming upon this world. Are you ready? To whom are you listening? When you go about your everyday life, when you contemplate whether you should do this or that and you know that it's not pleasing to the Lord, ah, but... 
he's never going to come or not for a very long time. I have time to make things right. You know, I heard about a man whose son, 33 years old, just, just yesterday, I think it was, he didn't wake up in his bed. He just passed away, 33. And you think to yourself, that could be me. That could be you. Are you ready to stand before your God in judgment? It's coming. The false teacher will tell you there is nothing for you to be worried about. But our Lord says, be on the alert, for you do not know which day your Lord is coming. Let's pray. We thank you, Father, again for your faithfulness to us and pray that you would help us to see that there is a day of judgment coming and that we will not take this lightly. Father, we do pray that um, the weight of your word would be felt in our hearts and we pray that you would give us great discernment. We pray that we would be those who love your word and listen to it, that we will respond, O Lord, to it in obedience. I pray that as we become accustomed to your word, we would have that greater ability, as you have said in your word, to discern between good and evil. I pray for this congregation that they will not be duped by false teachers, but that they would be able to see clearly through these things. And we pray, O Father, that we would not think ourselves so wise that we don't need your word, but that like little children, we would sit quietly at your feet, at at your word, and listen to it and learn from it. Thank you again for your great love for us. I do pray these things now in Jesus' name. Amen.